This is Epiphany Sunday, which is a really fancy way of saying a new understanding of Christ Sunday. And we celebrate it for a couple of reasons. One, it's the end of the 12 days of Christmas, right? The 12 days of Christmas my true love gave to me are not pre-Christmas days, but days after Christmas. It's the Sunday for that. It's also the Sunday where we celebrate the wise men coming and bringing gifts, thus the altar um, set up that way. Or it is also the Sunday celebrating Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist, all of which give us a new understanding of who Jesus is. So we just finished Advent, which was a fancy way of saying somebody's coming. Now we've got epiphany, which is a way of saying we're going to understand him different. And this morning, I'm going to start a book of the Bible that most of the people, if I've asked you and got a plain answer, are terrified of. The, the, the revelation of John. And I want to take that fear away a little bit because the word apocalypse comes from that. Apocalypse, everybody's pretty much afraid of apocalypse and it's been so misread over generation and generation that apocalypse has come to mean something different than it actually does. The word apocalypse means unveiling of somebody. So the apocalypse of Jesus is the unveiling of who he really is. So that's what we'll be doing today. And before we do that, I've got, some, uh, I've got my toolbox with me. And I, and I just need you to know that uh, good, 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 good readers read different literature differently, don't, don't you? So when you, if you pick up a newspaper and it's got comics in it, and it's got editorials in it, and it's got ads in it, and then it's got news in it. Do you read them all the same? No, you don't. Okay. So the reason why you don't read them all the same is because the people writing comics and the people writing ads are doing two entirely different things. And as you read that, you'll begin to recognize that some people want you to bring money in to their store so you can take something home. And the other people are trying to change your understanding or make you giggle. And then there's the people writing letters to the editor. <laughs> and so what I want, what I have in my toolbox this morning is a variety of things. The very first thing I have in my toolbox this morning, some of you will notice this. This is a stud finder. And if you walk along a wall with this on, it will tell you where the stud is so that you can know where the wall is solid. This is an electronic one. It beeps at you. It. Yeah, I do. You push the button, right? Right. And then you. Oh, see, it works. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> so, but you're going to bring out your, your stud finder, you're going to find out the literature. So, when you start reading something and things start to not make sense, then you know that it's a different style of literature than the way you're reading it. Thank you, Ted, for that. That was awesome. <laughs> well, you didn't try very hard either. <laughs> but 
the wonder of 10. And so, <laughs> okay, so, so what we're going to do is we're going to start taking out this book, and I'm going to start talking to you a little bit about it. Before we get into the full-blown sermon, I need to give you some tools, right? So measuring tools are really interesting in life, okay? So I have three measuring tools here that measure entirely different things. This is a level. Yep, that's level, right? It measures whether it's this way or you can put it on an angle. How many of you know what this measures? Drill bits, so you can put them in the right slot in your drill index, right? That's, that's what that is. And then this thing, right? In case you need to snap your fingers or a very special paper cut right along the edge. <laughs> Okay, so that's what I want to do today is I want to take just a little bit of time and give you some tools for this because when we read the book of Revelation, we're not reading a gospel in the same way. A gospel is sort of a story. It's a, it's a witness, a firsthand witness. This book is a letter, first off, written to people from somebody that knew them to them. Right? So when you write a letter to, to the editor, you don't always know who's going to get it. But if you write a letter or a Christmas card, you almost always know who's on the other end and they know you a little bit. And so one of the reasons the book of Revelation has gone so wrong over the years is people forgot that it started out in a context it started out to a group of people and it had to make sense to them. Now, we are listening to it over, our over their shoulders a little bit, but it still has to make sense to them. Otherwise, I hate to tell you this, you know, if somebody writes you a letter and it's complete gibberish to you, do you save it for all time? Well, if it's your kids and, and they're not writing full words yet, then yes, you might. But, but the way things got into the canon in the 4th century or into the New Testament in the 4th century was as they had meant something and they still meant something. So just very practically, I want you to understand that, that if it didn't make sense to the first people that get it, they don't save it so it doesn't make it. Does, does that make sense? Like, if you don't save it, you throw it in the trash can, you can't find it later to put it in something. But if it doesn't continue to make sense, then those people don't put it in. And it has to be made, it has to make sense to both groups. So it's going to make some sense to us. We're going to do that. That's what literature does. So, but it's also a letter. It's also a prophecy, some of us are a little terrified of what prophecy means. We think it only means future change and things like that. But God doesn't give us prophecy to say, in 17 months I'm going to do something, and in 16 and a half months I want you to be involved. God gives us prophecy specifically to elicit a change in our behavior right now. This is coming. You're not ready. Get ready. So it's not always about that future thing. If prophecy always elicits a need from God to change, an immediate need. 
or to recognize something. And then it's an apocalypse, an unveiling of who Jesus is. I, wanna, I wanted to read, um, this is from one of the commentaries that I had. The truth of the gospel, that's the good news of Jesus Christ, is already complete, revealed in Jesus Christ and what he's done in the earth. There is nothing new to say on that subject. This is from a commentary at the beginning of Revelation. But there is a new way to say it. I read the Revelation not to get more information, but to revive my imagination about who Jesus is. So those are some of the things that I want to start talking to you about. So another tool I need you to get into is is this, images in the book of Revelation. Images are sometimes in the book of Revelation, if you've ever read it, how many of you have read this book that I'm going to work on? Okay, a smattering. Smattering is a technical term, meaning not everybody, not most of you. But those of you who have, let me ask you a question. Were you ever confused by any of the images? Good, good, good. Then it's working. Some of the images are obscure on purpose. Do you know what that means? To be obscure on purpose is to hide it because they were, re- they were reading this book and writing this book in a time where there was an emperor who actually believed that everybody needed to worship him and if, and, if it was, and if you wrote something that said, don't worship him, worship somebody else, that was subversive literature. And if, and if it was not encoded a little bit, then they could be picked off. So it's a guide. Some of it is this. Some of it is a concrete reality thing. Like, I wrote this to seven churches. And if you list the churches and you go to a map, now Ephesus isn't really there anymore, um, in the same way, but Smyrna is in the modern coast of Turkey. That's Izmir, and then and then you make a little make a little loop, and they're in the order that they're listed in the book. And then you just make a little loop, and it was a letter to concrete places. But some of the images in the book are emotive. That is a fancy term, is it not? It means to elicit a reaction or to heighten the image. To make the picture more vibrant. I'm, I'm just doing, I know this is not the normal way I do a sermon, but as we get ready for the book of Revelation, I want to make sure that we, that we have some of these tools in our box. Number, f- another tool, another toolbox. See, I got, I got lots of things in here. Are you ready? These are screwdrivers, but I have three types of screwdrivers. I could have brought four types of screwdrivers just because I didn't, but I didn't really want to confuse you that much. But screwdrivers are one sort of tool. This is a, a, a standard. Phillips. And this one is a Torx. How many of you have Torx screwdrivers in your, in your drawer? Yeah, just a few of you. I also have the square ones from Canada which are super helpful when you're there, but not so much here. But they're all screwdrivers. They're all tools. And so as we look at screwdrivers and tools, I'm talking about numbers here that are different. And I just want you to understand that when these numbers come out of the book, we need to pay attention to a certain way. The number four. 
The number four. There are four gospels, says one of the early church fathers, because there are four points to the compass and there are four winds. There should be one from each direction. Four, the four corners of the world. So why are there four living beasts in the presence of God later in this book? Because there's the, that's representative of the whole world's living, living population. Four. Okay? Seven. Perfection. It's also the seven days of the week, the day of all this stuff, but seven, seven, seven. Actually, 54 uses of the number seven in this book. 54 times it does that. Later on, we're going to come to a spot and it's going to say, there's a lamb with seven eyes and seven horns. And I don't want you to be sitting there thinking, what happened to the parentage of that lamb? (laughs) I need you to understand that seven is the number of perfection in the Bible. And if you have seven eyes, your vision is perfect. You see everything. And horns are power. And so if you have seven horns, you are all-seeing and all-powerful. Do you see how that works? That is a symbolic sort of coding language. And And I'll go through this as we do this a little bit more. Three and a half. Okay, this one takes a little more uncoding. Three and a half is how much of seven? Half. And the cross was in the midpoint of all creation in the Jewish, Jewish viewpoint. And so the whole world would happen in this seven, this whatever period of seven years. And halfway through came the cross. And what's left? Three and a half. Antiochus Epiphanes um, was in charge of Israel before the Maccabean revolt for three and a half years where he did stuff to the temple and they had to cleanse it. And pretty soon when they cleansed it, we got Hanukkah out of that. Just little tidbits along the side. I know it's a lot of information. But three and a half means halfway or the time in between. 42 months, by the way, is the same as three and a half years. And if it says in there 1,260 days, you can do the math of what a 30, day, 30 days in a month times 42 is. It's 1,260. So just recognize three and a half. Three and a half years, halfway. Halfway. Not a specific time frame, okay? Tens will be used in this book. Tens are indefinite magnitudes. So if you see... In, verse, in chapter 7, later in this book, there's going to be a group that says there'll be 144,000 of them. And in the next breath, there's too many to count. So what's going on with the numbers? Well, 144 is 12 times 12. That's 12 apostles times 12 tribes. That's the old and the new people together. I just did 12s with you. Times 1,000, which is 10 times 10, times 10, which is a whole bunch of them. And then it says later, so many you can't count. Symbolic numbers. Any questions so far? I see, I see some blinking. I see some shrugging shoulders. Why do I care? <laughs> All that stuff. Because this... You're terrible at math. Well, you're in the right place. Because they don't do... This is not higher math. 
if, if this were higher math, I'd have Alex up here and he'd do uh, um, something, whatever he's doing now. <laughs> or, or I'd have a math teacher up here. Yeah, I lost you at algebra. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, I think Alex was doing something like ir- irrational algebra or, or geometry or something like that. The two words didn't seem to go together. So I want to get back to this spot of a book that's been so misread in some ways that it's given rise to a little booklet like I have here. So if I had both books, which I don't have, Hal Lindsey's Late Great Planet Earth, which is the failure to understand that they're not doing calculus in the book of Revelation... And then this one, the pocket guide to the apocalypse, the official field manual for the end of the world. This is, this is a, a little snarky, and I will bring it out just a little bit, just so that you know this. This is, this is its entry on apocalypse, okay? I'm just going to read the whole entry. It's all right. The devastating event, whether by supernatural forces, natural forces, or some other human action, that result in the total destruction of society, the world, the universe, your kitchen sink, you name it. It's often used synonymously with the second coming of Christ. Occasionally, it's used as another name for the New Testament book of Revelation. In fact, the word apocalypse comes from the Greek, apocalypsis, which means the lifting of the veil of Revelation, just so you know. Not to be confused with Apocalypse, the immortal mutant supervillain of the Marvel Comics universe who didn't get along very well with the X-Men, if you've seen that one. Okay? And please use it in a sentence. I would prefer the Apocalypse to result from a wayward asteroid than nuclear holocaust. But I'm not saying why. That's what... That's my... So... I'll bring this up just a little bit because in just a moment we're going to have something else. So there, numbers, literature, different style. You know, I'm a, I'm kind of a, a different style of literature geek, and so I just want to make sure we do this. The last thing I want to talk about is Domitian. And some of you who don't know that name, he is a Roman emperor that... <laughs> Domitian is a Roman emperor... That, that ruled from a, in, the, in the 80s and the 90s A.D. And he, um, he's about the 6th or 7th. There were a whole bunch of emperors really fast, including two of his brothers, which he managed to bunch off, bump off. And, and then about halfway through it, he decided that he was not just emperor, but he was God. Yeah, it's not a good idea. And the Romans didn't like it, but they were so afraid of him. That's right. They were so afraid of him, they couldn't do anything. They hoped he was doing it, but they were a little afraid that he was Nero returned. And Nero had been so bad that even though they knew Nero was dead, they kept being afraid that he might come back. And, and in case you think that that's kind of nutty... How long have we been chasing Hitler's ghost after he died? 
He was such a baddie that we're just afraid that whoever comes is the second coming of him, and we're just a little afraid of it, and now we're going to have TV shows and, and reality shows. And, and, even, and even today, you can go on almost at any day of the week and find a show called Chasing Hitler or Hitler's whatever, and they're still doing it. That's where they were when Domitian came to power, and they were going, Nero, Nero, not Nero again. But he changed all the coinage, and the coinage said, let me get this right, Dominus et Deus, emperor and God. He also took the term Pontificus Maximus. That's not. That is Latin, by the way, and it means the chief bridge builder between God and man, a completely pagan title. Just want you to know, he's the first one to actually take that. We know some people later in history have done that. But does he build the bridge from God to people? Did, did Domitian do that? Should he have taken that title? Was it his to take? I'll just ask you that question, because we know somebody that built a bridge for us. And they called him the Antichrist. In my little book here, here's, here's, a, here's a person that died in 1963. He was a president of the United States. They called him the Antichrist once. Did you know that? His name is JFK, or his initials are JFK. Um, he was an enemy of God, some believed, because they read the book of Revelation in such a way that the Roman Catholic Church was the new Babylon in it, and he was a Catholic, and so he's the Antichrist, and he's going to do that. I just, I just want you to know how this goes. The failure of a good understanding of how we're reading really has an impact. Okay. Are we ready? I'm ready. Let's read some scripture. This is Revelation 1, 1 through 8. This is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. Must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is the report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads his words of the prophecy, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. Remember, prophecy asks specifically for a reaction, a change. And if you read it and pay attention to it, then you are doing what God said, and that is a blessing. This letter is from John to the seven churches in Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit. There's seven. From the sevenfold spirit. Who is the sevenfold spirit? We call the sevenfold spirit the Holy Spirit. The complete power and will of God and spirit. They used to call him in some older books the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God. This is a letter from, from before his throne, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. 
That is a Trinitarian statement if I've ever heard one. This is a note from God, the Spirit, and the Son, Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness. This is Jesus here. He is the faithful witness to things, to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the earth. Now, some of this is coming in now because Domitian has actually said that he's emperor of emperors and he's in charge of everything and Jesus is not pretending to be emperor of emperors. He actually is. But what does it mean to be a faithful witness? What has been a faithful witness? I want to jump over to to the book of John really fast. This is from John 1, 17. This is what it is. That is not John 1. That is the next verse I needed. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Remember, we just said grace and peace. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him to us. That's what it means to be a faithful witness in this case. Jesus is the faithful witness. the first to rise from the dead, the first to be approved, to be risen, the firstborn of the dead. Now, later on in this book, he'll open a testament. We call them last wills and testaments. It's the same word that we use for testament in Old Testament and New Testament in Greek, diatheki. But, but you don't open a will until somebody's died. He's the first to rise from the dead. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. He has made us a kingdom of priests. Now, just so you're aware, in the Old Testament, there's two terms for priests. One means a sacrificing priest, and the other means a representative priest. We did this in Bible study a little bit because the question came up. In the Old Testament, there are sacrificing priests, right? They go in and they they sacrifice and then they do this. And then the rest of the priests are out there just doing their job, representing God. The different words in the New Testament for us, it's always the representative priest. Just want you to be aware of that. He's made us a kingdom of representatives for him. Priests that stand and represent him wherever we go by his blood... But it's not just that. There's also some reading in here from Hebrews, right? Have you ever heard this verse? He ever lives in the presence of God to make intercession for for them as priest. That's what priests do. They make intercession. Now, a lot of people hear that verse and they say, I'm so glad that Jesus is in there begging for God to accept the sacrifice that he made on the cross today for me because he did that. That is not what's going on in that verse. 
Jesus isn't continually begging God and going, God, I know that they're doing bad right now, but if you could just look again at the cross and take care of it, then, and then the next time we do, I do something wrong, Jesus has to do it again and again and again and again. No, that is not what's going on if you read Hebrews. What's going on is Jesus is always permanently in the throne room of God, approved because the cross was sufficient. And he always is there because of the intercession is complete. And there's no second gas tank, right? You don't run out of it and flip the little switches and say, I need, I need the second tank on my truck. No, it's enough. It is finished. It's complete. That's from um, Hebrews 7, 25, if you're, if you're keeping track to look later. He comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the nations will mourn for him. Yes, amen. That's the way it is. When you hear them do this, and he's doing this, just translate amen in your mind to that's the way it is. See, Domitian liked, really liked it. He, he would have been perfect in the NFL games or in, the, in, in, in professional sports where they, 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 they blow the smoke and then the players run through it and, and everybody goes, look, they're entering, yay, yay, yay. Domitian had people go in and swing censers of incense and make a little cloud so he could come through it and then he could be really fancy looking, just like at a football game. But this isn't a cloud of incense. This is the clouds of heaven that Jesus is going to enter through. And all those who will see him, who will pierce him, this is it. When we see this, it, will be, it won't just be the senate of the Roman people that see him come in when he makes his appearance because they have to prove he's still alive and all this stuff. It will be everybody seeing him. And all the nations will see him, not just the few representatives. yes. Here's the end. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. There's nothing new here about who Jesus is, just a new way to look at it and see it all in one really big picture. All this stuff is everywhere else in the Bible. This is not a gospel. This is who Jesus is. All at once. Shall we read that one more time and then be done? I want to read this from the message. This is Eugene's thing. The revealing of Jesus, the Messiah. God gave, gave it to make plain to his servants what is about to happen. He published and delivered it by angel to his servant John, and John told everything he saw, God's word, the witness of Jesus Christ. How blessed the reader, how blessed the hearers and keepers of the oracle words, all the words written in this book. Time is just about up. I am John, writing this to the seven churches in Asia province. All the best to you from the God who is, the God who was, and the God about to arrive, and from the seven spirits assembled before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, loyal witness, firstborn from the dead, ruler of all earthly kings. This is who Jesus is. 
glory and strength to Christ who loves us, whose blood washed our sins from our lives, who made us a kingdom, priests for his people, for his God forever. And yes, he's on the way. Riding the clouds. He'll be seen by every eye, and those who mocked and killed him will see him. People from all nations and all times will tear their clothes of lament. Yes. The master declares, I am the A to Z. The Alpha and the Omega. By the way, just this, that's completely fair. In the Greek alphabet, uh, Alpha is first and Omega is last. In the Hebrew alphabet, in the Old Testament, it says, I am the Aleph and the Tau, because they're first and last. This is in our language, A to Z, if you're from England. I'm the God who is, the God who was, and the God about to arrive. Lord Jesus, as we begin to see who you are, as we begin to know who you are and to see you anew, may we recognize that you have washed us clean. Give us the tools to recognize what your word is saying. Give us the tools we need to understand what we need to do with your word. But first, let us recognize that this is a book about you. In your precious name, amen.